Good evening and welcome. We are here for part two of our interview with Father Jonathan Romanowski of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter. I'm glad to have him back joining us after a successful talk to our Faith and Ale men's group. And we had such great interest in your presentation to our group. We thought we'd follow up on that and have a conversation about what the genesis of our group really is all about and uh, the genesis of what this podcast is, is hopefully going to be about, which is discussing uh, leisure in life as a Catholic man. Um, we live in a society that obviously celebrates leisure well beyond the means that it should be celebrated, but that also means that we shouldn't essentially throw the baby out with the bathwater, that there is a lot to be appreciated about God's gifts that he has pre presented to us, um, and as Catholic men, um, we should enjoy them in moderation. And I know Father Romanowski has a lot more to share on that. So, Father, if you could uh, first lead us in prayer and um, begin with your thoughts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mother of good counsel, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, thank you once again for the invitation. This is always a pleasure for me. I can preach to the ends of the earth thanks to your wonderful apostolate here in your podcast. So I, in my experience as a priest now of over slightly over 10 years, I'm not a baby priest. I'm, I'm almost an adolescent priest, so I'm getting, I'm learning something, I suppose. But, um, you know, the, the media, how much we can do. It was St. Maximilian Kolbe's dream to be able to evangelize for the Immaculata using uh, the printing press, for example, the newspaper, journals. And now with the Internet, and my experience uh, where I worked previously in Mexico was, was wonderful. You could speak to uh, different countries and, and uh, preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I sincerely uh, thank you for that. And, and, and again, that sets up, I think, the theme, too, of how we're trying to use everything in this creation to serve God. So St. Ignatius makes us meditate on as the principle and foundation of our spiritual life that God put us here to know him, to love him, to serve him, and by this means save our soul. And that, as a consequence, we should use everything, all of our talents, everything that we have in this life, so as to achieve that end, to employ it in his service. So uh, we're going to see how even faith and ale come together <laughs> and have kissed in this wonderful union, yeah. because um, you make a very good point as, as we speak to the world and announcing the good news to this world, which is a very schizophrenic world, no? <laughs> that at the same time that it puts... Um, wants to enjoy the world, uh, at the same time it makes a god out of it, you know? and that this material uh, world never satisfies the human heart. St. Augustine, who gave himself over to the pleasures of this world, uh, realized in his own life that our heart is restless until it rests in thee, O God. And so uh, we see a world which um, puts all the emphasis just on enjoying material pleasures, but at the same time without any deeper understanding. So, as Catholics, what is our mentality? Obviously, uh, it springs from the Incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And He came to save uh, the whole man, both our soul and our body. We believe in the resurrection of the body, and the life of the world to come. So we're contemplating the consequence of this Incarnation is that Christ redeems us by communicating grace to our soul and even into our passions, okay? As uh, he comes to redeem the whole man. And this is a very different mentality than the 
Puritans uh, in, uh, that, that often surround us here in the United States. Okay? That they have the Lutheran or Calvinist conception of redemption is that man is not internally redeemed. Okay? That God paid the price for us, um, but that justification is something exterior. We remain, as Luther put it in a very beautiful Christmassy image, a snow-covered dung heap. <laughs> so that interiorly we're not, we're still a pile of dung, but that we're covered with snow and we look pretty to God's eyes. So um, that's not the reality. The reality is that we're temples of the Holy Ghost, as the scriptures tell us, that we are, uh, God dwells in our soul, that he is at work within us both to will and to accomplish. And so uh, he gives the power to our soul to be able to use everything virtuously and to appreciate the goods of this world as an expression of God's goodness. Okay? And so this will be, um, this is obviously part of the virtue of temperance, okay? but that as a virtue, it's very important, uh, the virtue of temperance is only developed by putting a just measure in the things that we use and the pleasures that we have, so um, according to right reason. So, for example, one who simply abstains from alcohol out of fear of the temptation or of how to moderate it will never really develop the virtue of sobriety. Okay? It's only by making a, a moderate use that he's able to realize, okay, there's a pleasure that accompanies this, but I'll subordinate that pleasure to reason. Okay? That's, that's the moral training ground. So sometimes we observe in our American it's of our Puritan culture. Sometimes there's a sense of, oh, that's bad, that's evil. I'm from the state of Pennsylvania, I have to confess. So I never saw alcohol in a grocery store. I was scandalized the first time I went down to Maryland. Wow, somebody could buy that, you know. But the mentality there, especially of our Puritan forefathers there, was more the sense of, like, this is evil, but if you're going to use it, then, you know, sin greatly and get drunk. So, whereas, whereas I noticed in Catholic cultures when I went to seminary and I started to see people of a truly Catholic culture, Americans or Europeans as well, mm -hmm. that you always have a little bit of wine at table or even a moderate use of tobacco. Only in a seminary did I see people smoke occasionally. Like That didn't happen with, on the construction site where I worked. <laughs> you know, it was just one after another. And then in seminaries, like, oh, it's a Sunday, it's a feast day, we're going to smoke a cigar, we're going to smoke a pipe, and, but just maybe once a week without any sense of attachment or addiction. So uh, obviously that's what we're aiming at, and the grace of God makes that possible, that we can use the things of this earth without being given over to them. Okay? Yeah. And as parents, it's so important, you know, that's what you're aiming at for your kids. Sometimes the tendency is simply just protect them, keep them away from all temptation, but remember, you're training a soldier for the church militant. You're training your children to go out into the world. What does St. John tell us? We have the faith which conquers the world because we have the grace of God in our soul. So it's about making them confident in grace, teaching them how to order everything in this, in this world towards, towards God, to, to the perfection of their soul. So. And we have with us tonight, we have uh, Tim Green, professor of literature at Ave Maria University. And we also have uh, president of Faith in Al Catholic Men's Apostolate, Jason Stoss. And uh, really excited to have the, both of them join our conversation as fathers of properly sized Catholic families. Uh, I'll let you fill in the number. And for growing. Me. And growing. Uh, Shoot, right. supposed to know that. <laughs> oh, no. Shed a, your wife knows shed a light on, as a father, as a husband, as a man in 21st century, everything that's swirling around us today.
the rapid fire pace of all of the temptations and the different things that we could consume as much as we want because of, we live in a country of abundance. Talk about being able to live moderately and temperately in that way and being able to enjoy certain things that you may enjoy. That's a, that's a great point. Um, I, I'm blessed to have five small children and so um, that requires a lot of drinking on my part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Uh, no, I, I, uh, um, I, I, my wife and I joke when we were really struggling at one point, we had, I think we had our fourth or something and things were just, and it is very stressful. You know, you, as much as we're on board with the Catholic teaching on things, there are moments we say, this really is hard. This is really difficult. Yeah. And we were quite stressed one night and um, for some reason we both just said, let's just have a beer together. And we sat down and we had a beer, just one beer. And like Father had said, but it was just so nice. It was so relaxing. And so we did, we did, we did that our victory beer. So we, we, we said, you know, if we get them all to bed and nobody's screaming and no one's crying, let's have a victory beer and just enjoy. That's and awesome. it's exactly the same thing. It's not that we're drunks or anything, but we're enjoying the, 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 something that helps you relax, right? It makes mm -hmm. you enjoy the evening together. And it kind of is a fun adult kind of thing to do together. We have this drink. Yeah. This, and I think that's kind of one of the keys to these things is we use these things as, as parents um, and our, our kids, I think, have to see that. I think that's kind of important. Um, I remember vividly growing up watching my parents and how they handled alcohol or how they handled tobacco or things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that made a real impression on me. Like, like Father said, it was used for festive occasions. We had it for you know parties or whatever. But I didn't see my dad with a six-pack every right. night. Right. Um, <laughs> and that, to me, was a model of it. Is, this is something that people use. And it, it, in a way, it, I think that what it helps is it demystifies it a little for children. Yeah. Um, I think if, if you do go the Puritan route, my, my fear is, although I'm still a young father, my fear is that would make it the forbidden fruit. And it would mm -hmm. make my children want to, oh, i got to find out what, what this stuff is. But if, they, oh, no, Dad, every now and then we'll have a cigar. Dad, mm -hmm. every now and then we'll have a drink. Uh, to me, that, that's kind of the approach we're taking. They, they should see us enjoying things in moderation. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's what other people think as well, but that's kind of what we look at it. So we're not going to hide from our children that we drink. And that's, yeah. and that's the church's yeah. teaching. I mean, starting with the example of our Lord, right? When did he work his first miracle? But at the wedding feast right. of Canaan. Yeah. And what was it? <laughs> to multiply the wine for yeah. a married couple. <laughs> right. Forgive them for they know not what they do. That's so, right. <laughs> he's multiplying the wine for... <laughs> yeah. But that's so but scandalous. We see it? it throughout the scripture too, right? Yeah. Like God, And God gave wine to gladden the heart of man. Just right. like you were saying, yeah. to gladden. Not to be the source of his happiness, yeah. but and that's what we're aiming at, is that we can enjoy these things as a reflection of God. So if we can make this one point of how we connect the ascetical life with the same theme of enjoying God's creation, mm -hmm. is that we have to first be detached, right? We have to mm -hmm. go through that purgative state in our life, yeah. and only then can we really appreciate the goods of this earth. So think of someone who was more penitential than St. Francis of Assisi, mm -hmm. you know, who bore the marks of our Lord's passion in his body. Yeah. Yet who saw the face of God in all creation more than St. Francis of Assisi? And that's, that's, it's the same point. Because when you're totally detached from seeking your happiness, your existential happiness in a creature, then you can truly enjoy that creature as a reflection of the creator in whom consists your happiness. So that's, it's, it's kind of the paradox there, but that's the more detached you are from creatures, the more you can enjoy them as simply reflections of God's goodness. So it's something you try to teach your families. You know, we, we tell parents, whenever I visit a house to bless, the, uh, bless their house, for example, they invite me for a meal, and okay, well, I always like to test them. And what prayers do you usually say before you eat? Oh, yeah. Um, 
Yes. <laughs> well, uh, what's that book we've got for... Uh, <laughs> but, and, and so many of you do pray, but that's, that's a sense. We're going to thank God. Right. We're going to ask yeah. God's blessing. And it's attributed to St. Padre Pio. I saw it on Facebook, at least. But that <laughs> if you can still give thanks to God after the meal, then you haven't fallen into the spirit of gluttony. Hmm. Right? Yeah, you still, you've enjoyed this, but thanks be to God for this consolation that he gave me. Right. And if he gives you but desolation or the trials of this life as well, thanks be to God. If you can praise God in both circumstances and you've truly uh, established the virtue of temperance in your soul. My, I have a very different background than what you were describing growing up. Really? You know, I'm, my dad was an alcoholic. And um, part of his journey in becoming sober, which thanks be to God he is now, um, was kind of dabbling in the Southern Baptist Church, right? And it's this conversation that we're having right now is absolutely scandalous. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I remember one time sitting through one of their altar calls and the minister being so proud and excited that he's never tasted a drop of wine in his life or of alcohol and he, and he just proclaimed it and everyone was so excited and, <laughs> and, and I think about also I mean in scripture when you hear about the description that St. Paul has about deacons mm-hmm. I, I believe it is in, or is it St. Paul I'm, I'm not sure, sure but it, that, that they, don't, they don't get drunk yeah. you know and, and there's limitations and there were other examples throughout the Old Testament I think uh, I can't remember perhaps Samson or no he was uh, Eli or anyway, the um, that that alcohol will never touch his lips, or you know, along those yeah. lines, and and so that Saint John the Baptist, for example, and right, yeah. right, but but and there we have a sense of, but he's making a sacrifice of something that is good, because no Israelite would have totally abstained from drinking wine, which was of course part of the Passover uh, supper, and so. And our Lord multiplies it. I think the Baptists give it an interpretation that it was like some sort of grape juice or... <laughs> right. No, yeah. And, and honestly, I, I, this has been something I've been trying to come to terms with in my own life. It, it, being a, a husband and a father is I never had a model of virtue in, in temperance. And, and how common is that in our society honestly that's not unusual i'm you know your situation represents a rarity i would argue in, in our if we surveyed most households across our nation and you know yesterday being super bowl sunday and you know kind of the the epitome of gluttony in, in one one afternoon and evening right and and so i'm still wrestling with these questions myself what what does this look like and lent which is coming up is a great opportunity for me to always kind of engage this yeah. detachment, and I, I guess that's where I'm at as a, as a dad, as a husband, as a Catholic, is how how do I better achieve detachment? And I think you make a wonderful reference, something that uh, other families I've spoken with call the, oh, you know, what what kind of diet or food plan are you following? Is it keto? Is it this? <laughs> is it Atkins? Is it? Is it we follow the liturgical diet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and this, is, this is a sense, and it's a much deeper point because again, it was. Uh, St. Gregory the Great sent the Benedictines out to evangelize uh, England, that it was uh, their model of how to work and to pray. You know, eight hours of prayer, eight hours of work, eight hours of rest. It's, they have this beautiful balance in the, in the Benedictine rule, yes. which just really became the, the, the soul then of Western culture mm-hmm. to civilize a pagan world, to teach them how to live in order and balance. And so the liturgical balance, that's what it's there for. 
You know, we have penitential seasons like Advent, uh, Lent. We have times of uh, festivity as well. And notice, we spend four weeks of Advent and penance, celebrate Christmas for 40 days, an even longer period of time. 40 days of Lent for 50 days of Paschal time. And so, again, we're, we're detaching ourselves so that we can truly enjoy God's creation as a reflection of God. So I think that's a wonderful point, though, uh, to make, Jason, is, um, is following the liturgy. You know? And I experienced it in seminary as well. I said, okay, well, normally we just have water in a meal. But it's a second-class feast, so there's also uh, soda and uh, beer. Yeah. Oh, it's a first-class feast, so there, now there's wine. And, wow, that's cool. And so is there dessert? Well, if it's a feast day. Yeah. And this is how your kids will learn to appreciate the saints. <laughs> yeah. Are we getting cake today? Are we getting... <laughs> right. yeah. And that's honestly, true. that's what we're doing. We're living the uh, Von Trapp family. Maria Von yeah. Trapp wrote this book yeah. about their year as a family. And Miranda and I have been kind of religiously trying to follow this book, both being converts to Catholicism, trying to raise a Catholic family. Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of navigating in the dark, and that's kind of our map, so to speak. But And in our Roman ritual, we have a blessing for everything. Again, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That's a scandal of the gospel, right? right. But he's coming to sanctify our flesh, to make it uh, too holy. And so we have a blessing of all types of food. We have a blessing of beer, likewise, in our mm-hmm. Roman ritual. A blessing of wine on the Feast of St. John, mm-hmm. uh, the Evangelist. But oftentimes they're connected with a certain saint or theme. Blessing of eggs, for example, for mm-hmm. Easter. Yeah. Because the egg this is, represents a tomb out of which Christ breaks yeah. forth. So... You can go back and discover all these beautiful traditions, but again, it's, it's connecting all these joys uh, with God and his saints. So I think that's your, your challenge as, as a Catholic family. Why are we celebrating today? Because it's uh, the, the birthday of one of our, our friends into heaven, you know, because of his example that he gave. And so you're, you're sanctifying, and we pray joyful mysteries as well as sorrowful mysteries. Mm-hmm. Both of them make us holy, okay? But the joyful makes us holy if we refer that to God. And thanksgiving is a blessing that comes from him and and can lead us to him if we have that holy detachment at the same time yeah last year uh, I think you were at the men's talk that father gave um, do you remember Don when or father do you remember when you described uh, I think in Lent there's like a religious tradition on was it on Wednesdays or something where they they wouldn't they would fast all day and then in the evening have like bread and beer Yeah, so the collations, beer was at times used, it did not break your fast, and so uh, you'll notice some of like the Trappist beers, for example, are a bit stronger or more (laughs) more hearty, because if you're only getting one meal that day, well, you know, a beer will help you (laughs) as a snack make your way through, you know, so, um, but yeah, that order in the liturgical life, um, you can't truly appreciate a feast unless you've appreciated a fast, you know? Well, and from an English language perspective, I like Please, to say yes. that we're a religion of feasting and fasting. Yep. The two have to go together, and you can't understand one without the other. So mm-hmm. even our victory beers stop in Lent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't drink it all during Lent or Advent. I actually got them from my in-laws, my wife's parents, who always gave up alcohol during Lent. Uh, and Advent as well, which is also kind of a forgotten as a beneficial season, I find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it should be, and it's yep. prepared for the yep. Feast of Nativity. And so mm-hmm. then when you have that glass of wine on Christmas or on Easter vigil or whenever yeah. you're doing it, it really is a toast to not just you know the, the worldly things, but to the yeah. other worldliness that comes down into our world on that. So um, 
I think that's key. Uh, how, how, and I would say that to the young parents. How are you te- teaching your, your, your children to fast, but how are you also teaching them to feast? Yeah. And if we're missing one or the other, then we're skewering too far to either right. the moral yeah. or to the purit- puritanical yeah. approach. Yeah. So balance, right? right? And the church gives us that balance seasonally. Yeah. You know? And although it's a balance, again, our heart was made for God alone. Right. So even the joys that we experience in this life, we want to right. direct towards Him. And so as a spiritual director, as a confessor, I, you know, that's exactly what I recommend to families as well. That's our, uh, the heritage of our wisdom. Okay, give it up. You like to have a beer every night, your victory beer. You have five kids, seven kids, ten kids, twelve kids. This podcast, so, uh, great, you've earned it. Okay, but if you don't have that beer, are you upset? Right. Right. So that's what I want to see. Right. Is that there's not an attachment. You're just using it, but have that holy sense of pride <laughs> and a sense of your nobility, your right. Christian dignity. Yeah. You're above this. Right. You don't serve a creature. You don't need this creature. Um, you use this creature. And so, in my spiritual counsel, that would be the question. All right, give it up for Lent. Give it up for Advent. Give it up for this penitential time. Are you upset? Are you anxious? Right. Well, and, and with something that is a chemical, you know, like alcohol mm-hmm. or tobacco, which you could use in moderation, but if it starts to become a, an attachment, it can become even a physical addiction. And you don't want to depend on that. That's degrading your, your great uh, dignity. As drunkenness, too, as a sin. Yeah. I mean, the loss of reason. St. Thomas Aquinas gives us the, uh, the, the, the measure that we're aiming at. He says, usquead hilaritatum, unto hilarity. Okay. And, and again, that's the, the use of it. You want to teach your kids too, we're using it to the festive occasion, it's a social gathering, the wedding feast of Cana, those weddings will last a whole week uh, amongst the Israelites. And you have to multiply the wives. So that's what it's for, conviviality, a social life to express this joy, a certain alleviation of uh, sorrow, forget about your troubles for a little while. Um, but... <clears throat> You're trying to use it for this, uh, for a purpose, right? Not just giving yourself over to it. So give it up at times. I mean, every, even every Friday, right? Uh, we don't eat meat. Or mm-hmm. in the United States, you can substitute with another sacrifice. But you have to make a sacrifice. And that should, you know, pick whatever you like the most then. Uh, if, uh, besides giving up meat, just to make sure that it's not an attachment. So we've touched upon alcohol. We've touched about tobacco. Yeah. Food which is in great abundance, especially here in Western culture. Um, if I can make one last comment sure, about alcohol, go ahead. just in terms of go ahead. Uh, just the gravity of drunkenness as well. So just in terms of the, yep. if anyone has the moral question. So on to hilarity, you know, when you're smiling, you're laughing, great. Mm-hmm. It's helped uh, augment, let's say, your human nature. Mm-hmm. When it starts to go against nature, that's the definition of sin. So when you can't speak well, it starts to affect your speech, it's getting slurry. Mm-hmm. You can't, your coordination is, is poorer. Now it's going against your nature. It's not helping you. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. And if you lose your reason by drunkenness, it's a very grave sin, mm-hmm. which makes you capable of so many others, right? Mm-hmm. How many, beginning with too much wine, wound up in adultery, committing an abortion, people are dying, you know, car crashes, mm-hmm. accidents. So uh, recognize your dignity. That's the whole point here. Mm-hmm. Don't lose it by drunkenness. Your reason makes you the image of God. Okay? And so maintain your dignity. And again, your dignity is above all these creatures. So have a holy sense of your Christian nobility, mm-hmm. whereby you use these things, but not being used by them. Thank you for supplementing that yeah. point. Um, 
So we, we, we spoke about alcohol, we spoke about using that in moderation, using tobacco in moderation. I wanted to talk about food as well, like the enjoyment of, of food. And as I mentioned, we live in a Western culture where food is of abundance. Um, very hard to go hungry here in the United States, even amongst our most poor. Some of our most poor are, in some cases... Uh, obesity is huge. Yeah, there is yeah. great obesity, and yeah. they're, 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 in some cases, eight to times wealthier than people in other countries. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk about in terms of food was we have, we've lost as a culture, particularly amongst the family, the um, love that goes into preparing the home-cooked meal with, mm -hmm. su with such easy access to fast food restaurants, particularly here in Florida. Florida is a great raw wall here in Florida. Florida is basically the testing ground for almost every franchise restaurant in the country. <laughs> and as someone who comes from New York and loves good food but also appreciates yeah. the preparation that goes into a meal, the sacrifice of that preparation, enjoying um, the preparation of that meal, and then enjoying what you labored to make. Yeah. If you could speak a bit to that, Father. Well, I say again, it's, it's the labor of love. And again, who's your model of sanctity as a Catholic family? I always remind parents, bless a, a business, for example, the greatest saints in heaven are Blessed Virgin Mary and Saint Joseph, okay, who were married, who had a domestic life. What do we hear about their life? He was a builder, a carpenter. She was a domestic mother. We don't hear anything about public apostolate or, and, and Saint Louis de Montfort comments that in doing those simple tasks at home, uh, cooking, cleaning, the twirling of her distaff, uh, sewing, and doing that, she merited more grace than the martyrs in their most cruel martyrdoms because she did it with greater love and attention. Who are you forming in the, within these five, seven, ten, how many kiddos you have there? I haven't caught up to them yet, so. Right. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the wife's son as wife. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> but the point, you're forming Christ in them. Right? Yeah. You're forming Christ in them. And like you said, oh, I remember it. This was the example of my parents. It's, think of St. Therese. St. Therese used to say, I don't ask myself how the saints pray. How, how does, I look at the face of my father, and I know how saints pray. Mm -hmm. She would look at him during Mass. How does Daddy pray? And his face was just transfixed with, with the love of God or repentance for his sins. And she, in following the example of her father, saw the face of God the Father. And that remains, we say, that, that the virtue passes from the heart of a mother directly to the child. And so again, being home with your children, all the labor of love and making that meal, family traditions. Um, again, it's, it's the challenge I think we have in the U.S. is that there's so much technology. Mm -hmm. Everything's at our fingertips. We don't really have to make any sacrifice, and thus we don't really appreciate anything. And as it becomes a culture then of waste, of fast food, of just taking everything for granted. So, um, And again, it's, it's the school of... Uh, these future families as well, you know, as mm -hmm. the daughters help their mother and prepare the meal, uh, as the sons maybe go out with their father to hunt. Again, they appreciate where these things actually come from, the mm -hmm. work that went into them, yeah. and they're all involved in it. They're learning how then to, uh, likewise, all the duties of family life, and it's the best school. It's, if it's mm -hmm. a school of charity. 
because we've become so disconnected from our food source and from oh, yeah. our, uh, how we prepare and receive the uh, nourishment of this world, do you think that that has played a role in the dysfunction in our society and almost the, the abuse of the things that we have in this world? Absolutely. Absolutely. And just a whole subjectivism as well, just based on emotion over reason. No? Well, my favorite example is precisely one of those where uh, actually occurred a, a you know, teenage daughter of a family uh, declaring at meal uh, while she's eating steak that it's wrong to kill animals. But that's our culture in a nutshell. (laughs) It feels wrong to kill an animal. That's not a pleasant experience. But it feels good to eat steak. So eating steak is good, which came from the supermarket, I think, right? Sure. (laughs) Killing an animal is wrong. But especially for men, too, taking your, uh, your sons out to hunt, okay? Again, it's, it requires fortitude. And what you're forming their whole moral sense of judgment, which we've lost, which is simply just, it feels good, do it, doesn't feel good. Well, sometimes what feels bad is really good. So you have to do this difficult task, kill this animal, skin it, uh, bear it, then you take it home and you're going to eat it, okay? Yeah. That's difficult, but it's reasonable, it's good. Mm-hmm. And so they, they learn that, okay, what's difficult, what feels uh, bad at times could be what is good, if it's according to reason. And what feels good could be something bad, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a description of our culture in a nutshell, I think. So, again, getting back to the sacrifice needed in, um, in family life, doing it and, and all those traditional customs and domestic tasks, I think, is of the greatest importance. We cooked a suckling pig on New Year's Day because it was in the Von Trapp family. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you have the kids sing in unison, too? Like, no, no, okay. we're working on that. Step, baby steps. But <laughs> that was quite... In, uh, a traumatic experience for the kids to see an actual pig yeah. <laughs> like with its head and everything. Yeah. So that point is well received. But if they made the connection, especially my eldest daughter, Hannah, who at first seeing the pig, bawled her eyes out and ran to her room, but then later that same day enjoyed yeah. this awesome, awesome, yeah. delicious meal and, and made the connection. You know, that they're, exactly. you know, and that's interesting about most of our eating is there's some kind of a sacrifice involved there. In order for us to live, something had to die. Mm-hmm. But And that's what I love about Lent, is that's the opportunity for something in me to die so something else can live. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I say that to my, my two-year-old daughter. She asked me why I have to work. I said, well, because man has fallen. <laughs> <laughs> I have, to, I, have, I, have to, I have to earn money to be able to feed, feed, our, feed our family because man fell and, and lost what was in paradise and promised to him. So, so we, have to sacri- we all have to sacrifice for that. I like the idea of cubicles being a product of the fall. I think that's <laughs> very accurate. <laughs> right. Yeah. But for the sweat of your brow and some yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the wine sweater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can I just... Bring up something sure, about the hunting thing. I'm so glad you said that. I grew up in a hunting family, and I vividly, I'll never forget my first deer killed, and that was a huge rite of passage for me as a kid. Wow. And I cried like a baby. I was maybe, I don't know, 11, 12. I'm trying to remember how old I was. It's, it's you know. <laughs> but my dad took me out, and we, we you kill that first deer, and you go up to it, and um, I don't want to get too graphic, but you have to go in and start skinning it and cleaning it, and... Um, I was scared. I was very scared. I didn't want to get in there. I didn't want to get my hands bloody. And my dad kind of gently, this is what you have to do, son. This is what we do. This is what we do as hunters. And, um, you know, I'm no big hunter. I don't do it all the time. In fact, I um, have, haven't have found a place to go since I moved down here. But 
Um, the same thing, we would go duck hunting and you'd clean your own, if you know, dad, dad's rule was if you shot it, you had to clean it. Uh, we'd go dove hunting and you'd have to clean the dove breasts and take them out mm -hmm. and yeah. um, cook them up. And so you eventually get used to it, but I'll never forget those first few moments of getting, you know, the, the crying, I, I killed this living thing. Yeah. It is sad, but in a way, I think it gives a certain dignity to the whole procedure. And with, with a lot of critics of hunting, I don't think understand that, that it really is and a And it's all of, just yeah. a sentimentalism, because That's everybody, right. by eating meat, Correct. is killing an animal. I mean, Correct. this is... <laughs> well, what they've done is they've farmed out that work to usually an immigrant or someone in a slaughterhouse who does this dirty job that we yeah. don't want to do. And um, it's a real shame that people don't encounter that themselves. Um, as my sons get older, I plan to take them hunting. I think that's really important. Maybe that's something as Catholics yeah. we could be part of helping to rediscover. Very much so. And we've lost our whole scouting culture as well. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, right. Um, amongst our French, uh, most of our French priests come from the French scouts, which is a very like paramilitary Catholic. And here we have Boy Scouts, and in American culture, kind of gets its generic. Christian, sure. Judeo-Christian, whatever spirit to it, and even further corrupted in our day with yeah. gender ideology, but uh, reviving the whole scouting, you know, and yeah. all those difficult tasks, uh, living from from the earth, living according to nature, uh, very important, and well, I think, and especially for the man who lives in a city where you're not. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I saw, and I lived in a city of six million people previously in, in Guadalajara, Mexico. But there was this term now for the the metrosexual. They call him. <laughs> it's like, is it a man, a woman, a fish? It's just this sort of androgynous blob. Yeah. And but rightly termed, as I thought about it and preached about it, <laughs> the metrosexual. Yeah, he's a man who lives in this artificial world of the city, where there's nothing that really distinguishes him from what a woman does. They all have the same task. They all sit at the same cubicle. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to use his force or his manly talents. Who's going to go out and hunt? <laughs> Obviously, the man is going to go out um, and do that difficult task, and which requires well, physical force, mental concentration. Where is that going to develop? So, I mean, supplementing hunting as far as you can do it, take him out of the city, take him out on those trips, uh, camping, uh, true uh, Catholic scouting, for example, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Very important to, to form their masculine identity. I think. And I'd like to make two plugs at that point, if yeah. I could. So, uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall, he started the, I think, co-founded the Troops of Saint George, mm -hmm. which is this Catholic mm -hmm. effort to do that. But also, the fraternity does these summer retreats, yeah. right? There's exactly. Two we have a Monday. number of summer apostolates. Sometimes just based on the local apostolate, mm -hmm. um, depending where it is. But then others we offer at a national level. Uh, I used to do the one in South Dakota. It was great in the Black Hills, beautiful area. That's cool. Uh, the Badlands, the Black Hills, Mount Rushmore. It's uh, beautiful, God's creation there. Um, we do another one in Pennsylvania. Um, again, I've worked outside of this district for a number of years, so I'm still uh, catching, mm -hmm. catching up the pace here. But um, but there are a number of people visit our website and look for FSSP, Preceptor of St. Peter, uh, summer camps. Mm -hmm. And again, it's... But I noticed a difference. I mean, even at our South Dakota camp, those who were local farmers from our apostolate there, um, the level of virtue. So, you know, here's a 12-year-old, and he comes up at recess while others are playing. He's like, oh, Mr. Romanowski, can I, can I check the tires on the t car? It seemed like they were a little bit loose or something like this. Uh, do you need any help in the kitchen with the cooking? Like, big family... Uh, farmers, they're always thinking about how to help out with the common good. 
No, it was really notable. I, I saw the degree of virtue. Then many of the city slickers who were <laughs> who were good kids too and uh, innocent, but I just saw a difference of fortitude, of preparation. Um, I remember one conversation too, where the one was uh, making reference to how his sister had to shoot things on the farm as well, and so this boy from it was some city in Colorado, and he's like, "Your sister knows how to shoot a gun." He's like, of course she knows how to shoot a gun. Like, yeah. Are you insulting me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, two worlds colliding, but we got to get back to to nature, no? I mean, it's yeah. Well, as controversial as he is, Ted Nugent always talks about <laughs> hunting, but also being a great conservationist. The importance That's of right. if you are actually out in, out in the world hunting, you'll actually become one of the better conservationists out there because you'll grow an appreciation right. for nature and an appreciation for how you go about, you know, hunting and, and, and getting your food. Um, and I think it's almost, a, it's very similar to the economic argument, the tragedy of the commons. Sure. About how, because we're so detached from that food source, right. nobody really takes ownership over, right. over it. So instead we do the extreme. We either have the corporate abuse of animals or we have people that want nothing to do with animals. Right. And, and um, mm-hmm. you know, for, and another controversial figure since past, unfortunately, Anthony Bourdain, talked about how vegetarianism was essentially this bourgeois first world uh, <laughs> thing that people followed because if you lived, lived in a poorer country, right. going without meat would be unthought unth- right. of. You would never think to have a diet not based in a protein like meat. Right. Um, but it's something that we, because we have so much excess, are able to have this as some sort of cross to bear, this artificial cross to bear. Right. When it, in, in reality, it is not connected to the real world. It's funny, you know, Bishop Robert Barron talks about, he had this line, I've always, back when he was Father Barron, he used to say, you know, if, if the church has the fullness of truth, then whenever we de-emphasize something, it's going to pop up in the culture. So one of his arguments was, we, after Vatican II, confession goes way down. Mm-hmm. And he says, I think it's no coincidence that uh, Oprah Winfrey shows start popping up in Dr. Phil. Yeah. What is Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil but secular conversion confession? Oh, mm-hmm. I did this, I did that. And you mm-hmm. say it out loud, the, the oral thing, right? You get sort of yeah. some sort of quasi-absolution. And so I right, kind of yeah. uh, <laughs> ratings, I guess. I don't know what, but the same thing with, you know, we, we've downplayed that sort of, um, you know, everyday life and uh, the connection to the, and it, it crops up. So one thing we've downplayed is asceticism. Mm-hmm. We, we do not preach as much uh, about ascetical practices. Meanwhile, people are developing these vegan things, these crazy diets, these mm-hmm. um, for sports, for athletics, for whatever. So in other words, there's a human desire for ascetical practice. And it crops up in our culture in these funny ways, mm-hmm. like vegetarianism. Or, yep. And I agree with you. I, th- I agree with that criticism. I think they can be kind of almost like a, a sort of a virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if we as a church couldn't tap into that and say, yeah, that desire you have to eat more purely or natural food is, is a good desire. You're, you're having an aesthetical and desire. Yeah. And the point there, too, connecting with, again, the spiritual life and our one end, which is God, is that um, when we make sacrifice, it's not with a Puritan motive or right. such, this is evil, so right. I'm not going to... No, it's good, and I'm choosing something better, right? right? Yeah. Like consecrated celibacy for the kingdom of God. We don't do it because marriage is evil. Marriage is beautiful. Marriage is even a sacrament. Mm-hmm. But a consecrated uh, virginity is something more than a sacrament. Sacrament is a means to an end. Right. This is to begin that heavenly end here on earth. So same thing. So, so let's understand when we're, because we'll see in the saints, well, this saint never ate meat. He never drank. He, some of them did incredible penances. Right. But they did that recognizing how good and beautiful those things are uh, that God has given to us. 
and they sacrifice him for an even higher end. So that's another, uh, you know, a point I think to reflect on is that even our motive in making sacrifices because these things are good. Okay. Now's a good time for a break. We'll come back with part two in a moment. So we are uh, wrapping up our talk on leisure as Catholic men in uh, 21st century United States. Um, some closing thoughts. We'll start with uh, Tim if you wanted to share. Yeah. Sure. Well, I just, um, first of all, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be with you all. And, and Father, thanks for your, um, your direction as always. Um, I guess one thing that comes to mind thinking about is, is um, on a more practical level, we're talking about hunting, all these big things, but on a more practical level, I think the family meal is a huge thing. And I know that's a, kind of a cliche, but I think it can't be emphasized enough in our culture. Mm -hmm. um, you have to make sacrifice as a married couple to, to have dinner together. And I think that is sort of the, a great starting point for any family who's, you know, and then that means you have to sacrifice things like your kids' sports calendars or things like that. And so that's, a, I think, a real specific place to start. We have a meal together that is cooked by us. Mm -hmm. And even my little seven-year-old daughter is starting to love helping prepare meals and things. So I think that's a huge thing families can do. Um, and then the only thing I would say is, as, as an English teacher, I love recommending uh, works of literature to think about these issues. And one of the great ones that has been talked about for many years in Catholic circles is a um, uh, a short novel called Babette's Feast, which many of you may have encountered by mm -hmm. Isak Dinsen, Dinsen, who was a Danish author. Her name was actually Karen Blixen. And um, so she kind of grew up in a Danish, very Protestant heavy world, and she writes this beautiful story about a small Protestant community somewhere in the Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. They all um, live a very austere life, and into their life comes this young woman, Babette, who's a, who's, we find out later, spoiler alert, was actually a great, was a great French chef in one of Paris's wonderful restaurants. And she basically gives to this community, she gives of herself by cooking. She cooks this incredible meal with incredible wine and these artfully designed uh, dishes, which all comes from the great French Catholic tradition of cooking, where cooking is a, a work of the spirit and of art and of... Uh, of a gift, of giving of self, and um, spends a fortune on, a, on this meal for this small community. And, and as the meal goes on and they drink the wine, some of the old bitterness of this community starts to fade, and then they start to realize that they've been holding on to grudges and things like that. So it's just a wonderful um, literary, and it's also a great movie version of it, a, a wonderful literary way to think about the power of um, exactly what Father's saying, the, the moderate, um, embrace of God's gifts of food and wine and how that can really create community. And in the end, the movie, I would say, is a Eucharistic film. In sharing this meal, they share their hearts and the community is, is kind of knit back together uh, from what had been a kind of a cold, kind of distant, almost a legalistic, functionalistic sort of Protestant faith. Um, and um, so I would recommend that as a, as a movie to watch and think about and discuss. Babette's Feast, uh, or read the short novel. The novel itself is great. Um, and as a, maybe as a, a way to start thinking about these things um, and maybe even trigger discussion among a family or friends. So. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And I should share my culture as an Italian-American. <laughs> yeah. But oh. the, the line goes, the French taught the world how to cook. The Italians taught the world how to eat. Are you going to say big night? Well, I wasn't going to say oh. big night, but that is a, that's, a, that's yeah, another great thing. The other great movie is big night. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is about Italian cooking. That's and right. Once again, how a group of people... Uh, caught up in American consumerism through one big meal, um, reconcile old hurts and things like that. I'm and I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that. I'm glad you mentioned That's that. That's another good one. So I was going to talk about that uh, National Italian American Foundation actually has a campaign going on. It's called uh, Make Sunday Italian Again. Well, I, for, for, our, for, our, 
for our for our purpose of our talk, I liked where they were going with that, but I take it a step further. Make it truly Italian. Make it Catholic. <laughs> no. and, and by that, by that meaning, meaning, and go to mass. Sure. Share a meal with your family. Yeah. Enjoy Sunday as the feast day it's supposed to be, and celebrate the culture of food, whatever your culture might be, yeah. on the feast days like they should be enjoyed, and reclaim the feast day. We talked about fast. We're a culture of fasting and feasting. Reclaim the feast day um, for our for our faith. Well, both Jason. both those cultures are Catholic. You know, they are. Yeah. It's the eldest daughter of the church. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But coming out of them are these great feasting traditions, yeah. right? Um, but no, but this, this apostolate faith in ale has always been an, an attempt to try to find that balance, that conduit where we can understand, yeah, we can have a good time. And that's attracted a lot of guys to our events is like, okay, they're going to have pizza and beer. Cool. And, <laughs> and, and confessions. Yeah. And that's actually new this year that we, we brought the sacramental confession of the first half hour before the event starts. Nice. Um, but you know, and, and then from there, being able to dive into the idea that, you know, God wants to use these things to help make us holy. They are means to an end. They are not an end in themselves. In our society, they are so often ends in themselves. And how disappointing we, we come to find out, say in the case of the alcoholic, that it doesn't fill the hole in our heart that God, where God belongs only. And um, so... And notice how he drinks alone. No, and it's, it's something to share. It's not it's yeah. a sin necessarily to drink alone, but again, it's to express this joy that we have together. So it's really the heart of a home. I really liked your commentaries, Professor, that because um, I think even in moral theology too, we even refer to it as like like the symbol of the marital union is being united at the table and in, and and in the intimacy of your bedroom. Like you need the bishop's dispensation to separate from those <laughs> two moments of like. Uh, pillars of unity of the family. Like it symbolizes the unity of the family. So if you're not eating together, you know, where's the heart of the family? And I think it's uh, yeah. those are really great comments. And yeah, I would just reemphasize again. Uh, just notice in the gospel, our Lord, he spends more of his time uh, doing miracles, converting sinners at table. They even accuse him of being a drunkard because <laughs> he's spending yeah. so much time with sinners and eating mm-hmm. and drinking. And like he's a glutton, he's a drunkard. Look at it. Well, he's spending all his time in his festivications trying to sanctify them. Mm. So again, it's a moment of teaching, it's a moment of example, it's a moment of conversation. Uh, we have a saying in Latin too, in vino veritas. Mm-hmm. So the, the rector of the seminary used to invite out the deacons, yeah. as the senior member saying, yeah. Yeah, well, let's go to a restaurant, just, just the deacons and I, and uh, uh, I'll buy the wine. I want to know what you really think. The truth you know? is in the wine. So again, yeah, the truth comes out, so it's... Um, but again, the spiritual aim is that it's God alone. But the more detached we are, if we, tr- if we don't lose a sense of fasting, of penance, uh, then we'll truly appreciate the goods that God has given us as an expression, uh, as a means really to know and love him as well. So. Thank you, Father. Thank Should we lead us in that closing prayer? Yes. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Not to uh, uh, coach on the prayer, but could I leave with a, a little quote from my favorite Catholic author? Absolutely, is, sure. Hilaire Belloc. If, you, if people have read Not G. a bad one. Yes. Great little, I think he said this, that the, uh, wherever the Catholic sun doth shine, there's always laughter and great red wine. At least I've always found it so. 
Benedicamus Domino. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Great. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Thanks.